Are you ready to live the life you were made for? I'm Lisa Pulliam, founder of More To Be, host of this podcast and seasoned life coach. And I am passionate about helping you experience wholehearted breakthrough and authentic life transformation. Through exploring timeless biblical principles combined with the best mental health coaching practices, I'll help you discover what emotional, spiritual, and relational well-being truly looks like. I do believe that you can uncover a life of deep purpose and lasting impact. That is the more to be life you were made for, a life aligned with God's best. The more to be podcast is supported by our Patreon podcast community. You can become a valuable member and get access to exclusive downloadable resources, courses, and coaching at patreon.com slash more to be. On this episode, I am joined by Jared bias. He is co-host of the popular podcast, The Bible for Normal People, and co-author of the book Genesis for Normal People. I don't know about you, if you consider yourself normal or not, but this may be for you. As a former teaching pastor and professor of philosophy and biblical studies, he speaks regularly on the Bible, truth, creativity, wisdom, and the Christian faith. He and his wife, Sarah, live outside of Philadelphia, PA, which many of you know, so do I, and with their four children, Augustine, Tove, Alethia, I think I've said that correctly. Alethia, yeah. Alethia mm-hmm. and Exodus. Uh, you can connect with Jared here on the podcast and at jaredbias.com. Welcome to the podcast, Jared. Glad to have you with us today. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. So you've written a book recently uh, called Love Matters More. And of course, love and more caught my attention when it landed in my inbox because you're the more to be podcast. And the mm-hmm. last couple of years, I've been really passionate about being God's love and experiencing it as his beloved and kind of pushing past the, um, the, the doing into the being. So the transformation work that he wants to do in our lives, but what does that mean in the context of relationship and connection and for me, some of that has come out of being certified in equine, being in certification process for trauma-focused equine-assisted therapy. And that model is very much about connection, not just with the horse, but how does that translate to connection with people? So that's what caught my attention on this. And I would just love for you to kind of introduce yourself to our listeners and help us understand what led to writing this book and and I'd love for you to share the story about your children's names. So you get to choose where you want to start on that. Yeah, well, I want to I want to start with this idea that, uh, you know, what came, the book came from just a lot of conversations over the years, primarily with women, older women in congregations where I was a pastor. And I was always so zealous for the truth. I, I wanted to get to the bottom of the truth of the Bible and the truth of God. And I was just insatiably curious about it. But then I, I started to, uh, it started to be toxic because I was needing other people to be on my side. I was trying to convince everyone. Well, now that I have the, the truth, I naturally want you to have the truth too. Um, but it would be combative and it would be end up in mm. arguments. And these middle-aged women and older women in my congregation, when I would try to engage them in these conversations, they would sort of say, yeah, that's all over my head. That's above my pay grade. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm here to love people. I'm here to be present with people. Um, and that started to put a little crack in my foundation in a good way of, of saying, you know what, maybe they're onto something. And, and that led me back to the Bible. And that's really where this book came from was it, it started to be a tru- about truth. Um, and mm-hmm. it ended up being about love because 
I found out in the Bible and, and as we look at the life of Jesus, it's not really about truth. It's, that's important and that's a step on the journey, but really love matters more. Okay. So when you say it's not about truth, I can see all sorts of people's like sirens going off, including mine at times. Like as I was reading your book, there were times I was like, yes. And I was like, whoa, where's he going with this? Can you unpack that a little more? Yeah, I think it's just that maybe in our in our culture, I make the suggestion that maybe we've privileged truth because it can give us a sense of security and mm -hmm. a sense of of uh, a good, secure foundation, and we can feel certain about these things. But you know, it, at least I make the suggestion that perhaps we've made truth an idol, yeah. and that really it's Jesus. Jesus says, "I am the truth," um, not some abstract set of doctrines but that Jesus is the truth. And so I really wanted to unpack and figure out what does it mean to follow a person and not a set of doctrines? And what does it mean to be embodied and to be in the world and not just I've mentally checked off these five things. Now, I think our beliefs are important, um, mm -hmm. but they're a stepping stone to a life well-lived, a faithful life, not the end in itself. Right, right. So it's very interesting that you say that because as we're recording this, I'm presently studying Philippians chapter three and Paul says, uh, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is uh, verse eight. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Mm -hmm. And I read this, become one with him, missed it the first three times. Like literally I'm spending weeks on this one passage. And then I was like, what the heck does become one with him mean? like really needed to dive into that. And, and that becoming one with Jesus uh, comes from a Greek word to be found in him. Mm -hmm. And then it, I mean, I just looked at this and I thought, oh my word, to come upon, to meet with after searching, to find the things thought of, uh, to find by inquiring, thought, examination, scrutiny, observation, practice. But the last word is what, I feel like is left out of a lot of believers is experience. Mm -hmm. And so it is, and you talk about this in your book that the um, thinking is not, it's not that thinking is wrong or that belief shouldn't happen. But if we're leaving out the experiential part of this, of knowing Jesus and being present with him is, is where I feel like a lot of us are missing, missing the boat. And if we, um, they say in this like therapeutic world that I'm I'm entering into, I'm getting my degree in in counseling now too, as though I don't do enough. But this idea of being present with self first, and by being present with self, we can then become present with God and present with others. And I feel like that whole piece is what's missing. Is that what you're pushing towards in terms of love? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it, it's a it's a great start to talk about. Um, our selves. And we talk about self-awareness. I talk about that in the book quite a bit because yeah. that's, uh, you know, we, it's interesting because we think of this as like maybe a new agey thing where we're talking about ourselves and how that works. But John Calvin, who can't be accused of being <laughs> sentimental, um, no. you know, he starts his whole Institute of Christian Religion. This is big, you know, fat book, two volumes of theology, mm. but he starts the whole thing with, in order to know God, we actually have to know ourselves. And in order to know ourselves, we have to know God. And it is this interplay back and forth. And so I think we do a disservice 
when we downplay ourselves and so I don't, just don't think about yourself. Well, it's don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Exactly. So how ought we think of ourselves? And I would say at least as highly as we think of other people. And so kind of that love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes we forget that as yourself part. Yeah. And that this is all part of it. Our love for ourselves, our love for other people and our love for God are all intertwined and we don't do one really without doing the other. And, and so we're kind of juggling these balls all the time when we're trying to figure out how to love well. Yeah. Yeah. And you, <clears throat> you really set that up in the beginning of the book about how your perspective of truth and love was shaped. Would you share a little bit more about that your family, your mom? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a story in there, uh, which my mom and I've had many conversations about since um, mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, again, my combative style and her, um, you know, there was a, a particular night where it ended up being, I, I pointed my finger at her and she slammed me against our back door. Oh. And uh, we ended up just kind of sinking to the floor in tears mm -hmm. and, and trying to figure all of that out. And the, the point of that story for me is that it, it showed me in that moment that what was I trying to accomplish in my Christian faith? Mm -hmm. Was I trying to convince everyone that I was right? Mm -hmm. And if so, is that the kind of life, is that the kind of world that I want to produce? Is, is that bearing the fruit of, of love and patience and gentleness? And no, mm -hmm. it was creating anger and dissension and disunity. And, and it wasn't that what we were talking about wasn't important. It's that mm -hmm. our, it's about the heart. And like you said, it's about the experience of Jesus in our life and not get it, making sure we check everything off the list. And that I'm a, I'm a list checker. I like mm -hmm. getting it all right. And I like the boxes and I like fitting in the boxes because then it feels safe and secure and I feel good. And, um, mm -hmm. but Jesus is a little more wild than that. And, and God's not to be tamed that way because relationships aren't that Mm -mm. Right? When we try to put relationships in a box, we end up either a can trying to control that relationship and that person, mm -hmm. um, or we end up trying to manage the relationship rather than be present in it. Right. Um, and that's, you know, I don't think Jesus wants us to be managing our relationships as much as being involved in them and experiencing yeah. them and yeah. being present to the other person. So you said at one point, and it's been reverberating in my head, how, um, we have weaponized Paul's words, speak the truth in love. And I mean, since I read that in the book, I was like, oh, I can tell you about 10 different ways people have done that with me, right? And at the time when this book landed on my desk, that was something that was happening actively where, where I was being, and you actually describe it, it, you use the word at one point that that's abuse. Like when you are not nice to a person, that is, there, there's an abuse measured to that. And, and honestly, I've experienced that as a believer, I've had people tell me, if you really love me, then you wouldn't do X, Y, and Z. I have to tell you this because this is truth, mm -hmm. right? You should do this because this is the truth. Right. And I am compelled to speak the truth to you. And and I we've adopted an expression in our family, not from the Bible, but from uh, this is us um, uh, call. And we say this content may stand, but tone does not. Right. And so this idea of what are we saying? How are we saying it? When are we saying it? And for what purpose are we saying it? Is it out of a place of insecurity or fear or anger or bitterness or our own sin issues? Or are we 
Do we have a solid enough relationship built with this person that we can come alongside them? I think of, you know, I teach on mentoring from Titus 3 and use the word parakaleo, this come alongside concept. And if that's established, then use a coaching question. Would it be okay if I share with you? And when we get the agreement, then enter into that conversation. What do you have to say about this in terms of yeah, speaking the truth in love? I mean, that this, this uh, if there was another motivation, biblically speaking, for writing the book, it was that verse. It was speaking mm-hmm. the truth in love. And I just thought, what a, what a wonderful verse that I feel like we have we've flipped upside down and, mm-hmm. and we use again. I, I know so many non-Christians in my life and others who are bristle at that phrase. Like all I have to do is say speaking, I just need to tell you the truth in love. Mm-hmm. They're going to bristle because yeah. they have experiences where it really was, I don't know you. I really don't have any demonstrable way that you know that I love you and care for you. I just feel compelled to tell you that you're wrong. You're living in sin and you need to change. Yeah. And that is hurtful and, and is not loving. No. And, and so you know, early on, kind of getting that good old-fashioned Bible study going, I, I just looked at Ephesians 4 and said, mm-hmm. okay, well, what's Paul actually talking about? And the irony, as I read that chapter of how people misuse this verse in, in chapter 4, was mm-hmm. astounding to me. Because, you know, when he says, speak the truth in love, if we actually back up at the beginning of chapter 4, yeah. he has that same phrase at the beginning where he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, Amen. be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Yep. So that's the, that's the prerequisite for me. So yep. whatever speaking the truth in love means, it can't be separated from those verses before it, which says that we need to be humble and yeah. gentle and patient, and we need to bear with one another and make every effort to keep unity through the bond of peace. Yeah. So whatever it is we mean that we're speaking the truth in love, we haven't done that first. If, we, if I don't have that checklist, I haven't earned that right, as you say. I don't have that agreement. Yeah. Um, and so I would rather us focus on those humility, gentleness, patience, the bearing with one another, which I think is a real challenge yeah. because it means I have to earn that right. I have, to, I have to bear your burden with you. I have to be in pain with you. I have to co-suffer with you. Then that's how I earn that right. Yeah, um, and most yeah. of us that don't want to, we don't want to put in the work. That's that's hard work. Uh, yeah, we'd rather just spout our opinion and tell you that we love you. <laughs> right, right, so. right. Well, it requires an incredible amount of vulnerability to because we have to first admit that we don't know it all. Right, and we have to we have to move into a position of saying, "Hey, if I'm going to get this close to you, that I bear your burdens. Am I willing for you to get this close to me to bear mine?" And that, I, I, I think that's where there's a breakdown, um, very much so. I mean, we, so we lived um, 18 years at a boarding school in New York. Um, and in that boarding school environment, you are forced to do life with one another in a pretty intense way. You, you eat meals together, you teach each other's kids in Sunday school, you are taking students to the hospital when they, you know, are sick or have you know, hurt themselves in some way, like you're just forced to be in each other's lives at the ugliest moments and the most beautiful moments. And so that kind of bearing up under was, was most visible whenever there was this, like every summer, there would be a domino of people moving houses, there would be the housing rotation. And, and the school would get us the truck, but not the movers. So we would have to show up to move one another. 
And, you know, when you start pulling furniture out of somebody's corners, you see how they really take care of their house. Like it's, you're just exposed, right? And it's wonderful, but you don't, we've been out here for six years. I haven't helped anybody that way. My husband and the kids have, there was one, one school teacher that they, that moved and they went and they helped them move in, but it's, we don't get vulnerable with one another. Yeah, that's Uh, interesting you say that because the flip side of, you know, I I do feel like in our culture, part of our inability to love well is to be loved well. Yeah. We don't don't know how to do that well because we don't want to be a burden. And no, 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 I'm going to help you. You don't need to be helped. And, you know, looking at the life of Jesus has been helpful in that because Jesus both served, you know, he says, I didn't come to be served. And yet in his life, he is served, you know, he allows for that at certain points in his ministry. And I think it's important to recognize the give and take that even Jesus is served and not just serving all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a, it is a challenge to live like Jesus in a place that doesn't make that example quite clear. Right. So I want to talk about the names of your kids because uh, I know that they, from reading in the book, I know that they parallel your spiritual journey and transformation. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, for sure. So it, of course it didn't happen uh, intentionally and we can't plan where our spiritual journeys will take us, but it worked out. You know, our oldest is uh, Augustine. So named after St. Augustine, again, my b- upbringing was uh, Presbyterian and I went to a, a Presbyterian seminary. So kind of having that's kind of St. Augustine outlook, which, you know, he, he had some important things to add to the church, but he got some things wrong and it was all about, you know, certainty and in your head and thinking the right thoughts and, mm-hmm. and doctrine and then, uh, and not only that, but also this view that creation is bad and, you know, mm-hmm. we're bad people. And then uh, we had our second um, kid around the time that we started changing our, our views on that. And, and so we named him Tov, which is the word, the Hebrew word that God uses in creation. He calls it mm-hmm. Tov, everything he calls good. Mm. Um, and so this shift in us to start thinking about humanity as good and, and we, we are good and we can bring love into the world and not just... I'm so bad, God is so good, but God has infused in me this ability to also bring good into the world and to mm-hmm. bring love into the world. Um, and then Alethea, as our daughter came along and we were really wrestling with um, this, you know, okay, it's great that things are good, but what is this relationship between truth and, and freedom? And so Alethea actually comes from two Greek words uh, that Jesus uses in John eight thirty two: you will know the truth mm-hmm. and the truth will set you free. And that word for truth is aletheia, and the word for freedom, or f- you will be set free, is eleutheria. So we combined those mm-hmm. and created aletheia as we wrestled with this idea of truth and freedom. And, and mm. how do we not abuse our freedom um, and undermine truth? And, and how do we stand up for truth while also f- be focusing on the liberation and, and freedom of other humans? And, uh, and so that was a good you know, time in, in our life. And then our youngest came along, Exodus, and that was really a time of us being in the wilderness, of mm-hmm. us saying, you know what, we don't want to exchange one set of certainties for another, because for us in our personal life, when we feel certain about something, that's when we start not loving well. Mm-hmm. Um, we mm-hmm. start protecting. We start having boundaries and territory mm-hmm. and feel like it's my job to defend God, um, instead mm-hmm. of saying, you know what, God's, God's God. God doesn't yeah. need me to defend. God needs me to love. Mm-hmm. And I can do that best kind of on the way and being on the journey. 
and it's again my personality is is such that I like the territorialism I like the safety <laughs> I like to control yeah. and so Exodus is a reminder that we're not in control mm. um, and that we can follow God and trust God maybe that pillar of uh, smoke by day and pillar of fire by night but it's mm. not the guarantee it's it's uncertain it's a journey um, mm. and that that reminds me every day that my job is not to protect the destination or even get to the destination but to love along the way yeah yeah i love it it makes me as i'm listening to you the parallels between our faith and politics and how we present are so very similar <laughs> we don't talk about politics ever on the podcast but i feel like this is relevant so <laughs> what what would you say about that of this like i don't know in light of your journey of of learning how to see differently um and uh how would you i don't know how would you speak to that well i mean i i've actually since the book has come out spoken to a number of groups especially because it came out in the fall of 2020 we're heading into an election and things are mm -hmm. feeling really uncertain and how do we hold to our own convictions without beating other people over the head with it how do we stand up for truth in a way that doesn't have uh, people feeling like I'm not loving them well. And that, right. it's a trick. Um, but again, for me, there's a deep trust. Right? There's, a, there's a deep trust that comes um, from saying that I can hold to my conviction. I can believe what I need to believe about politics, about how the, com the country should be run in a way that I think is faithful um, to the gospel. And yet my fear doesn't have to come into play when I can trust that regardless of, of the outcome, that God's in control, um, mm -hmm. God's going to do what God's going to do. And can I trust that? Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a difference between conviction and fear that sometimes we don't make. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it comes back to that self-awareness. It takes a lot of introspection to say, am I doing this because I think it's the right thing to do? Or am I also doing it because I'm deeply afraid of what happens if my side doesn't win? Yeah. Right, um, right. And so that fear, I think, is at root. Um, and that can come out in such ugly ways. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Again, it can come out and I'm just telling the truth, but really I'm screaming at you about why I are calling you an idiot. How could anyone believe this? Or how could anyone vote for this person or that person? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. As someone who has struggled with anger, um, and comes from a legacy of fear. I mean, a legacy of both anger and fear, to be quite honest. I have come to see that when my tone and my temperament amps up, I'm scared to death about something below the surface, <laughs> right? And that's great. I think that's exactly right. Uh, well put. Yeah, and it could be anything. I mean, my daughter's getting married and we had to pick a wedding venue and I was scared of COVID consequences. And guess what, you know? my emotions start hitting. Uh, and I really, I had to get with God and be like, what on earth, Lord, is wrong with me? What is the root issue? And it took time with him, time talking to my husband. And, you know, I, I see this particular passage in Ephesians where this truth and love is nested in as, as there's a key verse here that we miss. So verse 14 says, then we will no longer be immature like children. Mm -hmm. And this idea of like, if we think of a three-year-old or a five-year-old, there's no reasoning with them. It is or it isn't, right? It, I don't know how old your kids are right now, but it, it's, it can be black and white thinking. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And it's the maturity, like, so then Paul goes on, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever, they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps mm-hmm. the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. And I just see this visual of like, we have to grow up in our faith. Yeah. And that means wrestling through with, with what we believe, how those beliefs were shaped. And if those beliefs are actually consistent with what God says about who Jesus is and how Jesus wants us to live, Mm. or have they been, um, are they, are they practices and rituals rather than focused on the relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, that's a lifelong journey of us pursuing. And that's why I think for me, this book is really just a call to say, Hey, let's put love back where it belongs, mm-hmm. which is that guiding light. So when we're asking, you know, we talks, Paul talks there about every kind of new teaching. It's like, well, what are we judging these things by? And over and again, I see Paul, especially saying, you know, love is the guide. I mean, Jesus himself in, in Matthew, right. uh, you know, he has this uh, teacher who comes to try and trick him and says, what's the most important command? And Jesus, without batting an eye, says, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The law and the prophets are basically saying all of the Bible hangs mm-hmm. on these two things. And so right there, we have this sort of mandate from Jesus to say, mm-hmm. let love be the guide. And so when you're asking is this a new teaching? Is this going to lead us astray? How do I think about this? What do I think about that? Let love be our guide. Um, Mm -hmm. Is this going to lead me to loving my neighbor well? Um, Or is this going to lead to, as we talked about, fear, division, Mm -hmm. anger? Mm -hmm. Um, And those aren't easy questions to ask because Mm -hmm. there's not an easy answer. It's not black and white. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, sometimes it can look like the exact same scenario and the right answer might be the opposite. Um, And so we have to really discern together and roll up our sleeves and be messy, be messy with Jesus, be messy with our husbands and wives. Mm. Um, And that's, that's that relationship. That's that embodiment and experience. It's not just a checklist of beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. Totally could see that. And um, I had turned in your book, you talked about uh, second Peter one, five through eight, and uh, you shared the verse for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. And you talk about that. Um, Share a little bit about what your aha was on that particular verse in your personal experience. Yeah. I mean, again, for me, my upbringing would have been, you know, every effort, you know, add to your faith, you know, goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, more knowledge and to, you know, that more knowledge, the ability to control other people. And for that, you know, the end goal is kind of feeling safe and secure in my, mm-hmm. my faith, but that's not actually what Peter says here. It, it's, you know, we have knowledge, but if you notice knowledge is right in the middle, it just sort of goes right over it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, add to your faith, goodness, but add to your goodness, knowledge and to your knowledge, add self-control. So knowledge is a means to an end. It's not the end in itself. And to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, 
and to godliness, mutual affection. And then what's the, what is that end result? Where does he end with? And we add to mutual affection, love. Mm -hmm. These are the building blocks and these are great characteristics and traits to have perseverance and self-control and knowledge, Mm -hmm. but they're all building towards something else. And if we stop Mm -hmm. short of that, that's what I would call an idol. Um, It's when we sort of make camp at something Mm -hmm. that's not the end, it's the means to an end. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think we've done that with truth, this knowledge idea. It's not saying don't add to your goodness knowledge. It's saying don't stop there. Don't stop there. That's not where we're trying to get. We're trying to get to love. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It is so good. And I, um, I, you know, for those who are listening right now, the question may be, okay, so what do I do next? Do you have thoughts on that? What should they do next? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the first stop is what you've been saying, which I really appreciate. It's taking stock of our own personal inventory. Mm-hmm. It's asking where does love, where is love getting blocked in our life? Mm-hmm. And that usually comes from as, you know, perfect love casts out fear. So where, what are we afraid of? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really hard question because it's vulnerable to ask. Um, you know, my daughter, whenever she gets hurt, her we've been we've been working with her on how to be sad and how to cry because her first instinct she's got three brothers her first yes. instinct when she gets hit in the head with a ball is to get angry is to get <laughs> mad right because she yeah. doesn't want to show fear she doesn't want to show sadness those are mm-hmm. vulnerable traits mm-hmm. so how do we get in touch with that and like paul says in ephesians 4 how do we mature mm-hmm. so we can step back and say you know what i'm actually really afraid of of this i'm afraid that if you know biden is the president these things are going to happen i'm afraid mm-hmm. Um, that if my son or daughter makes these wrong choices, this is how it's, their life is going to end up. Like, mm-hmm. what are those things we're really afraid of that are keeping us from loving more fully? Yeah. And how do we work on that in ourselves and become more self-aware and recognizing where we're not trusting God and where we're not trusting the other people in our life? And yeah. then that sort of can open up uh, to stepping into, into loving more fully, I think. Yeah, I think that's great. As you were saying that, I was thinking of my, um, my daughter who just went back to college. She, she threw at me a question the other night. She goes, what would you do if you found out that I got really drunk or started to do drugs? And I was like, wow, I feel really sorry for you that you made such a stupid decision. Why would you do that to yourself? And she's like, but would you be mad at me? I was like, I'll be sad. I'll be sad. Like, will I be mad? Yeah, I'll probably be mad at some point, but you're 19 years old. It's your life. I'm like, yeah, I probably would spiral at some point into how did I screw up as mom? What could I have done differently? You know, and all that shame that tends to heap on us when we Mm -hmm. think we're responsible for another individual. Uh, And, you know, I was like, but ultimately, I think I would be sad. And and the conversation ended and I, I went upstairs and I came back down. I was like, and I would ask you if you would like to get help. If that's something you want to continue to do, or would you like to figure out how to get help to get beyond this? And, and she was like, oh, okay. Now, I don't think she's going to go out and do any of this, but it was like a really interesting on the moment, like, how would I respond? And as I've been thinking about it since, I was like, wow, God, I am in a different place than I was. And it's because I ultimately have drawn closer to him. And, and trust God, like my, my trust of God has increased to the place that I don't feel like I have to be hyper vigilant to control an outcome ahead of time. 
Yeah. And I think that's the thread that I hear when you, when you say that as your response, the thread is trust, which allows me not to control. Yeah. And, and that's a, a, you know, it's a, it's a small chapter in the book, but I think it's an important one that love and control don't go together, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Love is about freeing other people. And so, like you said, as parents, that can be really tricky when our kids get older to realize that that sense of control has to lessen for my love to increase. And I mm-hmm. have to realize that they're 19, they're their own person. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I hear you saying is the, the more I can trust God and the more I can trust my daughter and the more I can trust that they're independent human beings, the mm-hmm. less I can control, which actually allows me to love better. Sometimes I think yeah. we think if I can keep you from harm, yeah. even if it means controlling you, that's yeah. the most loving thing. But that's not the the kind of love I see in the New Testament, especially. And so I, I appreciate that example. I think that's a great thread of that trust and, and freedom and love and how all those connect. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole lot easier to say what you're going to do than actually do it. <laughs> so, so hopefully yeah. you won't test me, but I mean, <laughs> that, that was a different, I can tell you this much. It was a different gut response now than it would have been four or five years ago. Um, and, and that isn't because my daughter is different, although she is, but it's because God has done his work in me mm-hmm. in, in just through continually pursuit of him and dealing with my own junk. So, right, right. so Jerry, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Can you remind everybody again, where they could find you and your book? Yeah, you can go to jaredbias.com or love matters book. Uh, lovemattersmorebook.com as well, um, or anywhere that you can find books, you can find it. Awesome. And they can find your podcast. Give them the name of that again. Yeah. The Bible for normal people.com is uh, our website and you okay. can find episodes and all kinds of other things that we do there. Awesome. Great. Would you be willing to close this in prayer today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. God, uh, thank you for our time together today. I want to ask for, for all the listeners and for, for Lisa and myself that we would continue on this journey of, of deep trust uh, and that it would lead to a deep love for ourselves. It would lead to a deep love for our neighbors and, and a, a deeper love for you. Uh, may you help us uh, find discernment and wisdom as we walk along this messy thing called life and try to figure out what love looks like not in the abstract, but in the everyday, in those relationships with our, our parents, our grandparents, uh, relationships with our, our children, our co-workers, um, the difficult people, the people that are easy to lean on, those places where we need to ask for help, those places where we need to step up and be of help. It, it is all um, not black and white. And so we need you. We need your spirit guiding us in community, in our communities of faith that we can lean on one another to figure this out. So I pray for the courage to ask for help. I pray for the strength to give that help. Uh, And I pray for the wisdom as we try to figure out the differences between those two. And we pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to the More To Be podcast. I pray you've been filled with hope as you consider what it means to experience wholehearted breakthrough and authentic life transformation. I would love to support you in this growth process as a valuable podcast community member. You can become one at patreon.com slash more to be. You will get access to exclusive downloadable resources, courses, and coaching. May you continue to pursue the life you are made for, a life that is truly aligned with God's best.